What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack on your back for the past couple of years, well, your back probably hates you. They make the finest, the most well-built, and the most comfortable Fireline packs in the game. Hand downs, end of hands down, end of discussion. But in addition to this, they make a ton of other load-bearing essentials, like if you need to go uh, peel a trophy elk or a trophy deer off the side of the hill, well, they make a solution for you. You happen to need a backpack to throw your civilian clothes in and uh, have available for the next journey to the fire assignment, to the next fire assignment. Well, they got a solution for you. Hell, they even make briefcases. Speaking of which, check this out. They have the Urban Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase available for sale right now. And how can we forget? They also launched the Backbone series, but these things tie into each other quite well. Why? Well, because proceeds from the Urban Assault 21 pack and the three-way briefcase, are the, some of the funds are actually going directly to funding the Backbone series scholarship, which is pretty damn cool. So if you haven't checked out the Backbone series or you haven't entered into the Backbone series uh, scholarship yet, well, now's your opportunity. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out these packs if you want to uh, fund someone's scholarship. But you can also submit your entry to the Backbone series and have a chance to win one of these $1,000 grants. So if you want to go back to school, get some education under your belt, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by Manscaped. Oh, yeah. Your balls will thank you. And uh, I don't know about you guys out there, but if you need to create eh, some defensible space, using air quotes here, uh, below the belt, well, look no further than www.manscaped.com. They have what's called the perfect package. Funny name. But it's got some pretty powerful tools in there. It's got the lawnmower 3.0. It's a premium electric trimmer with the skin safe technology built into the blade. And it helps uh, reduce those chances for manscaping mishaps, which nobody wants. But it's pretty cool. It's waterproof and it has a sweet LED. So you could uh, do your defensible space grooming uh, in the dark, in the shower or in a dark shower if you so choose to. But it also comes with some pretty awesome stuff. It comes with the crop preserver. It's like a anti-chafing ball deodorant. It comes with the crop reviver, which is like kind of like a cologne. It's kind of nice. It smells good too. And it comes with a sweet little travel bag and a sweet pair of boxers. But check this out. Listeners to this uh, podcast can get 20% off plus free shipping site-wide by entering the code anchor point. And that's going to be all one word anchor point at checkout over at www.manscape.com. So once again, go over to www.manscape.com, enter that code and your balls will thank you later. The anchor point podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor. And that is none other than hotshot brewing. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. And a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the wildland firefighter foundation. But in addition to kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they have a ton of other stuff like a full line of wild. I can't talk today. Wildland firefighter themed apparel. They have all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. And they have a ton of other stuff. And check this out. They actually support us by slinging our merch. So if you want to get your hands on some kick-ass Anchor Point podcast merch, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. 
The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you don't know what the Ass Movement stands for, well, it is the anti-surface shitting movement. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely hate walking along the trail or going to my favorite fishing spot or hell, even seeing it on the fire line, uh, seeing people basically take dumps on the surface, not bury it and gift wrap it in toilet paper. It's disgusting and it needs to stop, but you can help spread the word of the poo bearing propaganda by heading over to www.thefirewild.com and checking out the ass movement. They've got stickers, patches, magnets, posters. They've got it all. And check this out. If you have a problem pooper on your crew, they even have what I like to call the turd trowel. So you can, uh, remind them to bury their turds but listeners to this episode this whole podcast actually get a special little discount if you enter the code anchor point ask 10 at checkout you can get 10 percent off your entire order site-wide so once again go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you guys don't know what it is yet, well, Bethany over there has a kick-ass organization doing kick-ass stuff for you folks in the field, like releasing some Smoky Generation grants. Oh, yeah. It's pretty cool. If you uh, guys want to contribute and tell the story of wildland firefighting here uh, in North America or now across the world, you'll have a chance to win one of these $500 American wildfire experience grants. It's pretty badass. So if you happen to be a blogger, a writer, a photographer, a cinematographer, anybody who's telling the story of wildland fire, well, now's your opportunity. Uh, I do know that 2021 here is going to be opening up as far as the 2021 grants. Uh, so go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. And while you're at it, browse through all the stories. It's pretty cool. It's like a little uh, digital archive of uh, stories from across the globe about wildland firefighting uh, dating all the way back to the 1940s. It's pretty badass. So once again, Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up and go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. This podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. I hope everybody's doing well, and I hope everybody's getting their fitness on and getting ready for the upcoming, the fast upcoming fire season, especially down there in Region 3. You guys are starting, uh, if not started already, you guys are starting up here pretty soon. So I hope everybody is ready for it. So today on the show, we have a little bit of a follow-up, I guess you could say. A follow-up to uh, Armando's, uh, Mondo Perez's episode there about... Uh, inmate firefighting programs in California. But today on the show, the only difference is, is we're going to hear it from the female perspective, which is pretty badass. It's not too often that you get to uh, find the uh, women's corrections or the women's 
inmate fire program side of this story, but luckily we found ourselves a unicorn and little to my knowledge, I had no idea uh, of this person's past and where they came from or how they came up through the ranks, but uh, I actually worked with her and uh, she's a badass individual and yeah. She was in one of my academies down there in Sacramento. So without further ado, uh, I, well, first off, I do want to apologize because I did have my second dose of my coronavirus vaccine during this uh, recording or shortly before the recording of this episode. So I was a little bit fatigued and you'll probably notice it uh, on my side of things. She did great. I kind of shit the bed, but hey, whatever. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Julianne Thompson. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point podcast. Today on the show, I've got, well, my very good friend. We actually worked together at one point in our uh, our fire endeavors over at the academy. Miss Julianne Thompson. Not, no, sorry, no P, no P. Thompson. <laughs> How you doing? good thanks how are you i'm excellent it's been a rough morning but hey we got some stuff figured out with the technical difficulties so we're good to go yes good vibes yes good vibes just throwing that good energy out there so so today on the episode we're gonna have an interesting follow-up to mando perez's episode and i'm freaking stoked to have you on the show so let's get into it so who you are where you from what do you do give us a rundown all right. Uh, so my name is Julianne Thompson. No P, right? Um, but I also go by Jules. That's what people normally know me as. Um, I live in Sacramento right now. I work for the Colorado National Forest for the Forest Service. Um, currently, I'm on an engine. Um, I just finished my apprenticeship, so I'm officially converted. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been running, running you into the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started in, in 2017, um, and I got the apprenticeship on the engine and then I did the two years on Helitac, um, came back to the engine to finish up loose ends. And then, so finally everything's submitted and it's all good to go. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Well, I mean, congratulations first off, but since we're on the topic of the apprenticeship, I mean, can you explain how that works? Cause I never finished mine. I bolted to another crew and took an upgrade. So how'd it work for you? How was your experience? Um, my experience is actually really good. Um, I know a lot of people going into it, they've already had a few years in with the forest service. So they have quals, you know, they're already a firefighter one, they already have their IC five, or maybe they don't, but they definitely have a lot of classes that have been offered in the past at the Academy. Um, so when I went into it, I did the foundational and the, um, core, which is now like beginning and advanced or whatever. They always change the name, but I did like the beginning one and then advanced, um, and yeah, there were some classes that I already had, um, but there were some that I didn't. Um, but I always tell people like, even if you do have a lot of calls or time in the forest service and stuff like that, and you have all the classes and maybe there's only one that you need to get out of it. I think the most important thing about the Academy is the networking. Like I would have never met you. Um, shout out to the green crew, green crew <laughs> where my dog's at foundational academy i don't know is it like 73 or something something like that i can't remember yeah. yeah um i don't know yeah it was a really good experience for me i met a lot of different people in different forests um 
And yeah, I mean, and then I was able to do, so I did time on the engine. That's where I started. And then I did, um, time on the helicopter two years. Luckily I was really, really blessed to be able to do that. Cause I got injured. So I didn't really have like a good opportunity the first time around. So then I got to do it again. Um, and then I had my hand crew experience. So it was really cool that I got to do the aviation side and then, um, so yeah, so finishing the apprenticeship, like I feel like a more well-rounded employee. Um, I just have like different experiences, different people, different skills, um, the different classes. Like I know that the RX 310 class is not offered anymore because it was a little technical. Like it kind of went over a lot of people's heads, um, including mine. Um, so there were definitely classes that I needed and that I'm, I'm really appreciate, but now it's weird. Cause now they're doing it virtually, you know, cause it, um, so I know some people, you know, are going through it virtually and they can't do all the classes because they're so hands-on. So that's kind of unfortunate, but I'm sure they'll figure something out where they still like give a, a good product, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like the apprenticeship, uh, like you said, hands down, it's all about the networking. And now in times of COVID, since we have to adapt to it, and like you said, it's very hands-on with these skills. I mean, we got to adapt with the times when we're firefighters, we're resilient. We got to adapt. I mean, it's you blow a tire out on the line or something like that. Well, you got to fix it right there and figure it out pretty quick. But I think, you know, it's still a lot of value in it. My, uh, one of my actual old, uh, one of my buddies, he actually went through the digital Academy this year and he said it wasn't bad. So he had nothing but fun stuff to say that. And you know, the classes, I mean, you're going through a class and you may or may not have that qual over already, but it's all theory, right? You're not applying that to actual situations unless you're like fortunate enough to like go out and do a hands-on burn as part of your class or something like that. But it's just one of those things, you know, it's uh, you get that experience later down the line. So now you're familiarized with what's going to happen and what you may see, but you're not going to get everything out of a class. You're going to learn that in the field. Exactly. Yeah. And I know like even the Academy has evolved too, because this year, I don't know if they're still doing it because of COVID, but they included like the crew boss class. You can either choose, I think between crew boss or engine boss. And I think that's really cool because we're obviously up and coming leaders and we're stepping from apprentice to senior firefighter or whatever. Um, so I don't know, I'm really for the apprenticeship program because it really helped me just because I came into the forest service into the apprenticeship program. So it helped me just kind of like adjust and know the forest service way and just meet a bunch of people. Oh yeah. It's rad. I drink that green Kool-Aid every day. I'm all about the Academy because every time I was down there for foundational or basic or advanced or whatever it was, and for crew bossing, uh, when I was down there, I had the time of my life and I learned so much and you know, that refresher, even if you've already had the class, I think that's pretty good. You know, extra value, added value and benefit to the whole program that and you get to meet a shit ton of cool people. So like, like yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Oh yeah. Green best crew ever. <laughs> Green crew for life. You remember the name <laughs> game? I was actually uh, talking to, uh, what was that? That name game PT that I came up with. Do you remember that? I think so. Like we were in a circle and each person had to go around and remember everybody's name. And then while they were saying the names, did we walk or something like that? Yeah, I was, I, I actually learned that from one of my old crew bosses, John uh, Holovnia, and he is rad. He's a great leader and he taught me a lot of stuff. And I actually derived that from, um, 
my was that my basic academy or my advanced academy i forget which one but anyways we that whole like four mile run that we did and every like quarter mile we'd stop and do the name game in like ski squat that was like one of the most cohesive crews i've never seen some like a, a crew what do we have 18 or 14 people i believe something like that yeah yeah but you guys instantly just like bam came together and started working together it was awesome to see that unfold yeah it was really even cool for me like i picked up a lot of crew cohesive leadership type things that i'll definitely bring into the future oh yeah all right yeah that, absolutely that and you make friends for life <laughs> yeah i still see them too like i I've seen a couple of them. One person, not from the green crew, but from that academy actually works on my engine now. So that's kind of a small world. Fires um, a small world. Yeah, it is. And so it's been cool just to see them out on fires and stuff like that. Nice. Well, it's, yeah, I'm sure you'll see a, a bunch of them down the road. Who knows? Maybe you'll be one of their divisions or vice versa someday. Oh, geez, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough about Academy. Let's talk about you. So you've had a very interesting rise to your uh, position in fire. And let's let's go into the details about that. Okay. Yeah. Or start. Um, so, yeah. So I, I ended up on an inmate hand crew. So I obviously went to prison. Um, which I know not a lot of people, like some of the people know, like the people that I work with always know, like, I'm really open about it. Um, but a lot of people probably would never guess. Cause I look pretty normal, not, you know, like, so I just ended up having a problem that I didn't know that I had and, um, ended up in prison and I did the inmate firefighting for two years. I went to the rainbow camp. Um, that one's in Fallbrook. Um, which I actually now heard that because I was recently trying to get a hold of them for some information, and that camp closed down just this past year, like at the end of this in 2020. And then um, one of the other women's camps is actually closing down. So now there's just one. There's only one in the entire state. Yeah, I mean there was only three people in the state. So yeah, now there's only one, and there's still only minimal people there. Like they don't even have a fully staffed like four crews like they normally would, which is kind of sad, but, um, but anyways, so yeah, back to the, the journey to fire. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to fire was inmate firefighting, which it's like, it's kind of crazy to me when I'm just sitting like at the station or something and like, well, like this is my life. Like I took that and it brought me here, you know? Um, so I did that for two years. And then when I, when I got out, um, I knew a couple girls that, that had recently or paroled before me and they told me about the OC crew. Um, so the OC crew, if you guys don't know, is like an on-call crew. So it's kind of like for people that know nothing about fire, who just want to see what it's like. Um, or for me, it was just an opportunity to get my foot in the door. So I joined in, um, I did it in 2014 and 2015. Um, so it's obviously not a full season. Like you get your basic 40 classes, like your S130, S190 and all that stuff. And they pay you to do this. And then, um, they'll call you out on an assignment. It's really random. It's really sudden, but you're committed pretty much for the two weeks. Um, and 
the year before I did it, um, a couple of the girls from the camp had done it before me. So I was like, okay, that's really cool. Like I'm totally down to do that. Um, and it was a really good experience. Um, I felt kind of seasoned because at the inmate camp, you know, like we were fighting fires all the time. Yeah. We were all working, you know? Um, and so after my second year of doing the OC crew, um, the crew bosses at the time, they're like, oh yeah, you guys should all apply for the apprenticeship, apply for the apprenticeship. I was like, what's that? <laughs> and so they kind of explained to me what the apprenticeship even was with the forest service. But I honestly still had like no clue what I was really signing up for. And so, um, I ended up applying on the USA jobs like everybody else. And I ended up getting an interview. And at that time they were still interviewing for the apprenticeship. So I went down to McClellan. I actually did a face to face. That's a kind of a um, rare thing. Usually it's a phone interview. Yeah. I decided to do that in, in face because I was, um, I was living back at that point. And before when I was doing the career, I was in San Diego. So I knew I kind of had to move up here to kind of commit more to the OC crew thing slash fire because it was up in Chico. So it's pretty far. Um, and then, yeah. So then I got a second interview, um, and I was picked up on the Eldorado, um, as an apprentice on an engine and here I am today, <laughs> still on that engine, <laughs> still on that engine, just loving life. Well, you did some hell attack time too. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the apprenticeship afforded you a lot of opportunities to go do some hood rat stuff with your friends. Uh, oh, yeah. I, there's nothing more I love than IAing a fire on a helicopter. That's probably one of my hands down favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. It's the way to go. It's the way to go, man. <laughs> Locate cooler, establish shade. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're on these, uh, the, on the, uh, crew, the, uh, inmate crew, what was that like? Cause we just had Armando Perez on there and he kind of gave us the rundown of what it's like on the, uh, male inmate crew kind of side of things, but this is a rare thing and you're kind of like a unicorn, right? No one ever hears about the woman's side of the inmate firefighting program. So let's dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so it is really similar to the men's crews as far as I know. And as far as Mendo Mondo is talking about, um, so you have like your lead, which they call the swamper. Okay. So the swamper is like the lead person. And then like the the Sawyer's swamper is actually called a polar. I don't know. So like all the verbiage kind of got messed up. Maybe it's cow fire style. I don't know. Um, so they're like the lead, they have a radio and they're like the captain's, you know, right hand person. Um, and then same thing, like you have like 10 to 14 women on the hand crew. You have all your positions, like two saw teams, your Pulaski's, your McLeod's. And then, um, you got your drag spoon in the back, which is like, the other connection to the swamper who has the other radio, you guys are like the, the people at the front and the back kind of maintaining the people in the middle. And then, um, but they also deal with like the medical needs. They have the medical bag and, um, like all the supplies on the buggies and stuff like that. Um, so it's really similar. Like it's, I'm sure it's like the same setup. And then the camp that I went to was all cow fire. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting though, because I mean, you had a, a brief note in here about like prison versus fire camp. It was your time behind the wall as Mondo likes to call it. Is I mean, was that way different than in the fire camp or was oh, it pretty similar yeah. to Mondo's experience? Uh, probably. I mean, I know men's 
prisons are a lot different than women's. I think there's a lot more violence and just a lot more stuff that happens there. Um, but there still is violence at the prison. Um, so I started going to like, first you start off at County jail and then you get shipped off, um, to prison. And so the main women's prison in California is Chowchilla. Um, so that's pretty notorious for being pretty crazy. That's where like the lifers are and stuff like that. Um, so that was definitely a very interesting eye-opening experience, I guess you could say for someone like me, like I'd never been arrested before. I've never been in trouble. Um, the least of my troubles was like, I got like technically arrested and released, but it was just like, okay, sit on this curb, you know, be quiet. And then they let us go. You know, it was like very not serious at all. Um, so going to Chowchilla was definitely, yeah, it was a crazy experience, but I knew like in the beginning when I was going through my case and everything, my lawyer even told me, he's like, Oh, you're going to go to camp. You're going to go to camp. I was like, what's that? He's like, don't worry. You're going to go to camp. So the whole time that I was going through this process, um, you know, I was, I had the intent of getting to fire camp. I guess that was kind of always my journey. And so when I got to Chowchilla and they assessed me, you know, I qualified to go. Um, cause I didn't have a whole lot of time. Um, I originally was serving, I got six years for my sentence. Um, but I was a half timer. I know Mondo kind of touched on it. Like he was an 85 percenter. I was a 50 percenter. Um, so then technically I only had three years to do. So then my intent with the whole journey too, was to also get to fire camp as fast as I could, because I wanted to reduce my sentence as much as possible. So like the more time I had left on my sentence, the more they were able to reduce because I went from 50 to 35%. Um, so, so once you go from Chowchilla, if you qualify for camp, then you go to CIW, the, the California institution for women. And that's the prison in California for, um, where they do all the fire training and that's Cal fire related too. there's a Cal fire captain that's there and they go through the S 130 S190 class. Um, you start off doing like basic PTing. Um, it's called PFT physical fitness training. I'm assuming some acronym, some, some weird acronym like that. Yeah. And, um, so once you test out of that, then you have to like, wait to get your gate pass, which is basically like, um, you get permission to be released from the prison to go do a PT hike that you have to pass. So it was like a, it was like a 45 minute hike uphill. And at the time it seemed really crazy to me. Like, I don't know if it was cause my boots didn't fit. Um, they were really crappy boots. I mean, they weren't the best. Some um, think, or something. <laughs> they were like, I think they were basic white boots, but they were like the basic, basic, I don't know. They just, they weren't the boots that I have now for sure. Um, but I think they were too small. So I had a bunch of blisters and that hike was terrible. Um, but my goal was literally to, to PT and to train and get through this pro this whole fire training program as quickly as possible. So, Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, uh, it's, that's one of those things too. It's like, it's like going to your first fire, you know, it's like, you're just wide eyed and you're like, holy shit, what is going on right now? So it's to be expected on your first hike. 
But as far as going from that initial release into the camp, I mean, what was that process like for you? I mean, did you have to do anything in particular to get onto these camp crews or? Um, not really. I mean, again, like I was saying, like when I was assessed and I qualified, that's kind of like the avenue that they push you towards. Um, I know some people that didn't want to go to camp and they tried everything like getting into fights or what have you to stay at the prison. Um, but they're just like, Nope, you're going to camp. Um, so as long as I was, I mean, and I was down for it. Like I knew that if I could reduce my sentence, I'm going to do that. Like if I can get home to my family, I'm going to do that. Um, so once I pass that hike, then they just ship you off to camp and then you just kind of learn from there. Honestly. I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and the training, the onboarding program, when you first got into camp, what was that like? Um, so they just kind of put you on whatever crew is open. Like if there's a spot for you, um, and then you kind of just, you're basically the last in the order, you know, you're a McLeod monkey paw fire last firefighter. Got it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) last tool, no radio. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, like if you're going on a fire the next day, uh, that's what you're doing. Like, it's really crazy. Did you guys get to see a lot of fire? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the crazy thing is, so the camp that I went to, uh, was in Fallbrook, which is close to San Diego. It's like maybe 30 minutes from where I was living. So a lot of the times when we were on projects and stuff, like I would literally be doing my, the project work like 10 minutes away from my house. Um, or we'd be on like the, the 15 freeway doing freeway fires uh, a lot of times. That's what we did a lot of the time. Um, and then you go, you know, off forest and we went, pro- I think we pretty much stayed in South ops. Um, cause obviously that's a South ops region. So I think the farthest we went was either like Bishop or I went on the rim fire, rim fire in the, uh, the Stanislaus. Like that was pretty, that was pretty cool. Nice. So you guys got to get a lot of experience though, like during your, during your whole stint with them. Yeah. I think, I think for the two years that I was there, I went on like, I don't know, 40 plus fires. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, cause it's about it, like we're pretty cheap labor, you know? So it's really easy to get, to fix us into the budget. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a fixed and known cost as far as firefighting resources go. But that's another thing too. It's like, it's almost being exploited. Uh, at least I've heard, I, I don't know, of course, but I've heard rumor and I've actually had a couple of pip hit me up. A couple of people hit me up about Mondo's episode saying that now it's kind of like an, it's like a forced kind of thing and it's bordering on exploitation or it could be considered that. So I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but what was your experience like? Was it kind of like shut up and do what you're told and I mean, or was I mean, it kind of optional when you're going through it? I mean, like, could you, if you, if you didn't feel physically fit or if you just didn't want to be in fire camp, um, we ha- we kind of had the option. Like I know some people were on the crew and then they're like, I can't do this anymore. So they put them in the kitchen um, or they put them in the office where there was like clerical work to do, or, or like there was a mechanic shop or, um, a fuel person to refuel the, the trucks when they would come in or, um, the saw shop. Like, so there were, there were minimal options, I guess you would say. So there were still somewhat options. Um, but I mean, with like the whole slave labor thing, 
I kind of don't think it's slave labor just because like I made the mistake of going to prison. So in my opinion, I don't, I didn't even expect to get paid. Like, even though we were getting paid a dollar an hour when we were on fires, we were getting paid like 45 cents a day to do the project work, like our Monday through Friday job, even though that is like slave labor wages, like I, I still think I was paying a debt to society. So I didn't feel like I should really be paid at all. And the fact that I could parole with some money was actually, I was really grateful for. So uh, that's just me, though. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing too. Is like, especially when I was well, when I was talking to Armando about this, it's like there's a lot of silver linings to this whole program, but there's also a lot of drawbacks as well. I mean, yeah, it could be considered exploitation, but like you were just saying there, I mean, you you were you feel like you're paying your debt for society. Yeah, and I honestly. Um, from what Mondo is saying, there obviously has been some changes, which I could see just because with the realignment of the prison system and not many people going to camp and the camp shutting down with then now COVID as a factor of people even filling up these camps, like I could see them forcing people to go to camp, whether or not they want to, just because they need that program to sustain itself. Yeah, I guess that's understandable. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just like one of those touchy top t- topics and it's always been controversial and it always will be controversial. So it, I think it's important to have that shared perspective of your experience out there. It's yeah, it's one of those. It's important to, for people to hear it on the other side, I guess. Yeah. And I always I always looked at fire as like a great opportunity to be of service to the community. Like I took so much away doing what I did to get to prison that I felt like it was my way of giving back by helping the community and the land in a large way, you know? And then like when people would have like, thank you, firefighter signs, or people were so appreciative. Um, even when we were in our inmate uniform things, um, you know, and that made me feel really good that people appreciated us regardless of what color outfits we were wearing or whether or not it said CDC our prisoner on it or whatever. <laughs> Well, yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a, a greater purpose, you know, and I had that discussion as well with a lot of people on this podcast. It's like this, this career, whether you're an inmate firefighter or a, a regular Joe firefighter or whatever, hell attack, hotshot, doesn't matter. You you have a higher purpose of what you're doing. There's a lot of purpose behind it. You know, you're actually doing something that matters. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm still doing it. Yeah. And then you turned it into a, a full blown career. I mean, you just graduated from the apprenticeship Academy and yeah, you're, you're journeyed out and kicking ass and taking names. It's awesome. It's awesome to see that it's, I think it's really inspirational. And furthermore, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit later in the episode, of course, but you're now mentoring other people as far as other women in fire that, that have maybe walked a similar path that you have into, you know, a, another, another fire program. Yeah. I mean, I try to, um, I still keep in touch with a lot of the women that either was at camp when I was there or they were on my crew. Like our crew is really close. Like kind of like how our green crew was at the Academy, our crew, um, at rainbow was super close. And then there was like a phase where a lot of people started, whoops, a lot of people started paroling. Um, and then the crew kind of changed, but like our original crew was pretty tight. And so like, um, Um, some of them I still keep in contact with, 
Um, actually like my girlfriend, I met her at camp. Like we were on the same crew. Like it's a really crazy story, but you guys um, met there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's so rad. He, she was, um, the Sawyer. She was like the second Sawyer and I was her swamper for a long time. And then eventually she was first saw, I was second saw. And then, so our team kind of split, but like, that's kind of where our friendship formed when, when we were saw partners. Um, and then she went into fire for a little bit and then, um, she got asked out of the apprenticeship because of her age. And so she went elsewhere, but like, we still share that, that bond. And like, she knows obviously what we go through or I go through, um, today. And, and some of the girls like still live here in Sacramento. So I still keep in touch and I'm still like, if they have any questions or want to get into the forest service or whatever, like we're all still really here for each other and support each other through our journeys. That's rad, man. That's so cool. Um, so what about the training or not the training? I'm sorry. What was that like being on a, on all women's inmate firefighting crew? I mean, you just mentioned the the cohesion was there and the leadership was there. What was that like for you? I mean, could you go into more detail about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, it was really awesome. Um, for me personally, like, so when I went to prison, I was 24. So I was pretty young. Um, by no means did I ever grow up thinking, Oh, you know, I want to become a firefighter. Like I wasn't, I wasn't physically fit. Like I never worked out really. I wasn't really active. I mean, I did some sports as a child, but, um, but growing up, like I didn't really think that this would ever be a possibility. So for me personally, being in this fire camp and doing the stuff that we were doing, like was really empowering. And then also with just being around all women, like we were a badass crew, like we got stuff done. And even some of the, on some incident, incident, the incident, (laughs) (laughs) um, that we were on, some of the people said like our hand line was the cleanest hand line, you know, like women are known for being detail oriented and just really thorough people. And so, um, I don't know, it's just really cool and really empowering to be around all these women. Although sometimes, you know, it got catty and petty and, um, you know, the drama was for sure there, but overall it was just like a really cool sisterhood that I, cause I wasn't, I've never really been cool with a lot of women. So it kind of turned the perspective on that for me. That's right. I'm just, yeah, that's, that's good to hear that everybody was very cohesive too. It sounds like you had good leadership in place. What was the leadership like? Yeah. Um, shout out to captain Ortega. Um, I hope, I hope all the rainbow ladies will listen to this, but, um, captain Ortega was our captain, obviously. Um, and we had a couple fill-ins here and there like subs, but he was the main and he honestly did a lot for me personally. And I know a lot. Um, he did a lot for the other girls that I still talk to. Um, he was like the type where he was really quiet but when he had something to say, he was always like really serious. Um, he taught a lot. He always made like really wise decisions. So for me, like I trusted this guy with my life. I didn't know much about fire, but I'm like, well, I got to trust him on this. And so every time, like I, I felt like I was never in danger. I always felt like I was protected and safe. Um, and then kind of like the, the changing point for me was, Um, so at the time I was like lead Pulaski or something like I had moved up from the back, you know, I was moving up, moving up, people were leaving, whatever. And then there was a point where he wanted me to be, um, the second saw team, like the, and be the Sawyer. 
Um, and at that time I was kind of like dancing with the third song projects and just kind of getting a feel, but like, I didn't want to be a Sawyer at all. I was scared of it. I'm like, it's too heavy. Like screw this. Um, but then he pulled me aside one day and he's like, Hey Thompson, he's like, I want you to be my second. So I'm like, no cap, I can't do it. Like, I just, I I don't want, I don't want it. He's like, well, you're all I've got. And I believe in you. And I think you can do it. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. And I remember like my first few PT hikes, cause we, we PT'd all the time. Like we would hike every single day. Um, we did like some calisthenics, but most of the time it was hiking every single day. And we did the crew hike, um, with the saw and it was terrible, man. Like I was, I was complaining. He's like, Thompson, do you want to go back to prison? I'm like, no cap. And like, so I just like sucked it up from there. Um, but overall, like his leadership for me, like made me the employee I am today. Like that's how huge he was for me. That's that's rad. I mean, yeah, I think it's very important that, you know, that you learn from good leaders and you were fortunate enough to have a great leader, uh, during the inmate fire program. And then you carried those leadership qualities on even through your apprenticeship into where you are today. Yeah. You know, I learned a lot of, um, you know, you don't have to say much, um, to get respect or like, I just know for me that, you know, knowledge is everything and I want to learn as much as I can and give back to people as much as I can. Like what, like one of the girls that's on our engine right now, she's just going through the apprenticeship. So I'm kind of excited that I can hopefully help her, um, through that journey. You know, like it's exciting to give back what I've been given. Oh yeah. That, and it's, it's that mentorship too. That's a, that's an important quality to take along with you in your fire career. You know, you never know who's going to be listening to, to you and, uh, you never know what you might impart on their career. It might be some of the greatest piece of advice and you just have no clue what you're, what you're even saying. You're just saying something in passing and it could matter the world. mean the world to whoever you're saying it to. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's quite, it's been quite the journey. Oh yeah, it is. It's a long journey. That's for sure. But as far as your experiences go in uh, the MA program, do you think that that groomed you uh, for taking on a career within the forest service? Oh yeah. Like I think it gave a really great foundation um, of just like learning how to use all the tools. Um, You know, like I learned everything about the chainsaw, which is really good to know. Um, I don't fall a lot of trees because I'm still kind of scared of trees, to be honest. <laughs> um, but like I can still get down with the chainsaw, you know, um, and also like just basic fire behavior. The only difference is for me is so a bunch of the fires we went on um, when I was uh, at the fire camp was in South Fox. So I know a lot of SoCal fires. Then when I moved up to Sacramento and then got the job in the El Dorado uh, National Forest, it was all North Ops, which is way different fuel types. Oh yeah. Um, a lot, a lot more timber. Um, so that was kind of, uh, an adjustment for me and just learning that fire behavior. And I'm still learning for sure. Like I definitely have not seen everything. That's, that's for sure. Um, so I'm like still continuously in the learning phase, but, um, and then also the, the thing that I'm still trying to shake is, going from Cal fires ways to the forest service, um, like on the inmate crew, you know, we were doing the 24 on 24 off and we were doing 21 day assignments and, um, 
like the hardest thing for me is shaking the fact that like, I have an issue with still taking the initiative or like doing things without asking for permission first kind of thing. It's really weird. But, um, sometimes I don't take the initiative on all things because I'm just like thinking like, Oh, I don't want to get in trouble or like, Oh, am I supposed to be doing this? I don't know. It's really weird. And I'm still just trying to like jump out into it and take more initiative on stuff and like ask for forgiveness later type thing, you know? Um, but that's been kind of challenging. Yeah. I can see why though. I mean, just by past experience, I can understand. I mean, I got shitty qualities that in my fire career that I, you know, want to get rid of, but it just takes time. You got to work on those things and that's for everybody out there. For sure. Yeah. I mean, as far as this whole experience though, changing your life, how would you describe that? Um, sheesh. Like it's weird because, you know, obviously I never thought I'd, I'd be in prison. Like that definitely was not the roadmap for my life. <laughs> like, I don't think it any is, is for anybody. Like straight up. You know, yeah. Right. Um, but you know, like it totally changed my life for the better, like from the beginning of the process to where I am today. Um, like if I didn't go through that, I don't think I would have like the perspective on humanity that I do. Um, and then just in terms of fire, like it gave me the tools, like in my personal life, but also job tools and skills, um, to have an opportunity at, um, a career, you know, um, cause I didn't know what I was going to do when I got out. Um, I worked some jobs, like I worked in coffee for a little bit, which I, I do give that, I, I give that away and I tell people how to make good coffee. Cause it's super important in the fire world. Like I always do a coffee class and it's super fun because everyone loves coffee, right? Oh yeah. Not everyone, but most people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right here. I'm, I'm all, all about it. I'm still, it's like 11 o'clock or it's no, it's 12 o'clock. It's almost 1230 and I'm still drinking a big ass cup of coffee. Hell yeah. So yeah, I, I give back to all my guys, the knowledge that I have about coffee, but, um, there was even like crap jobs that, that people were not hiring me for, you know? And like, I don't, I don't have a bad record. I, it's just that one, you know, I mean, it's, it's bad enough. It really is. But, um, yeah, I was still being put in that box. So for it to come full circle and I'm still in fire to this day is like, I don't know. It's just beyond me. Like, Whoa, this is my life. Like I always sit back and I'm just like, Whoa, like I went from there to here. And it's like, the experience is still really close to me, but it's been a long time. Like it's almost been 10 years since that journey started. So it's been a while, but it's still a huge part of who I am today. No. Yeah. It totally makes sense though. But you mentioned something right there that was pretty important though. It's like you experienced with just, uh, you know, your coffee jobs or other, you know, jobs that you're applying for when you're out, uh, you experienced some kind of like side eyeing and some, you know, they were kind of profiling you in, in, a, in a sense. So let's go into that. I mean, did you experience any of that with, uh, when you're applying for the fire program with the forest service? Um, no, uh, it, it was actually, um, so my girlfriend was in fire a year before me. Um, so I thought, well, if she can do it, then I can do it. And I was honestly really surprised that a federal agency would hire somebody like me. Like I would have never thought that that would have been the case. 
Um, so for me, it was, it was really a, a nice surprise that this agency was willing to work with me. And I think it kind of started with the OC crew because, you know, like if they had me there and they didn't care about my background then, and I would ask them questions like, Hey, do you think I'll, I'll get hired and stuff like that? Um, and then now, like, even in my interview for the apprenticeship, I actually kind of used it, um, in my favor, you know, I was honest about it. I was like, you know, my, I, I don't have the the best path or past, but, um, you know, I'm grateful. It's made me who I am today. And I really think that I can be like a benefit to the agency. And even like on my uh, resume and stuff, I have a cover letter and I go more in depth about kind of what that experience, um, has taught me and, and how it's made me a better employee and a better person to society. Um, because I realize now that, it makes me unique. It makes me stand out. Like it's, it's a different avenue to this agency and to this job. Um, and, and we all need those like different people and different paths. And so I'm just, I'm really grateful that I've never, um, been shunned away from the forest service because of it. No, that's awesome. And you use it as uh, that transparency is key argument too. I mean, that's, that's really important too. And you actually weaponize that to actually make it more beneficial to where your resume would stand out. So that's pretty interesting. That's a good tip for people moving along. If they happen to, you know, have a record and they're trying to apply for the forest service or the yeah, BLM I mean, or does whatever fire agencies out there. Yeah. I mean, use it to your benefit, you know, and, and it, it, it's obviously made you to who you are today. And if you still want to fight fire and that's your passion, like, I mean, you're a good worker. You learned a lot through that experience and you worked your ass off to get to where you are, you know? Oh, absolutely. So let's go over to the application process with the record. I mean, did you, was it more difficult for you than, you know, say someone with no record? I mean, I'd assume it would be, but let's go into that a little bit. Um, like with just applying on USA jobs, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. The whole application process. Let's yeah. I mean, it, is it any more difficult or any less difficult? Did you have to do any like things special to do, uh, your application process? Um, the only thing that I remember doing is when they onboard you. Um, so at this point you've already gotten the job. But, um, every time they onboard you, whether you're an apprentice and you're doing like your winter off and you're coming back on or whatever, you always do that, like declaration of em employment or something. And you have to put all like your personal information. Um, and then there's a question in there that asks, have you had a felony in the last seven years or something like that? Um, so obviously like I have to mark, yes, now I haven't done it cause now I'm permanent. So I'm not coming off of employment or coming back on unemployment. Um, but you have to put yes. And then, um, down in a blank section, you pretty, it asks for like, you know, uh, what was your charge? Where were you arrested? What County, who was your parole officer? Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. So like, you just had to put a blurb. I don't know what they used it for, to be honest. Um, but that's pretty much, that's pretty much all I've had to do. Um, there was a hiccup with like getting my, my government license because my charge was vehicle related. Um, so that was like kind of iffy, but the time span had already passed that I was in the clear. Like I already had a valid license by the time I joined the apprenticeship and got a job with the forest service. Um, so my license was, was clean, 
Um, but there was still kind of like a little iffiness with that. I gotcha. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's curious to me because you don't hear this too often. And I think it's important that people know. Yeah. And normally like with other jobs, um, you know, usually like when you do an application with it, with just a, a generic job or wherever, you know, you do the application and then it, it, it's goes pending and then they'll have to, you have to wait for like them to do a criminal background check. Um, and, and some places are just more, uh, serious than others. Like some just will have no tolerance for any felony. Um, I don't know how long they usually go back, but, um, I mean, there was one job where I ended up getting the job and then they had to do a criminal background, like a different criminal background check that was maybe more thorough than the first time. So I was already working there and then they had to let me go because my record popped up, popped up on there, even though I told them like, Hey, you know, I do have a criminal background. Is this going to harm me in getting this job? Um, That's so, so that was shitty, man. That sucks. It does. It, it, I mean, it makes it really hard. Like I know why people go back now, yeah. you know, like they prison because that's, that's what they know. It's easier and it's hard out here. Like you're being fed to wolves out here, just trying to make like an honest living. And, um, it's just, the system's not set up for you to succeed. Really. It's really hard. Yeah. And I got, you know, the, the recidivism rates are pretty damn high for anything, you know, for anybody who's coming or cycling out of the prison system, it's, it's high. I mean, if you don't have a job lined up to where you can actually make a decent living, chances are you're going to go back. So getting in your foot into the door, especially with a great job, like, you know, being a firefighter, it's important. Yeah. And for me, like, so when I got, when I got out, my first job was, I was, a um, uh, a fair carny, basically. Like I was selling kettle corn at a kettle corn stand. Okay. And that's, you know, at this point I'm 26 and I'm selling kettle corn at a, at a fairgrounds. Like, I don't know. It just was a very humbling experience. I'll say that, but um, but that was through like word of mouth. And then through that job, I was able to get, um, another job through word of mouth. And that's really kind of how that's the only way I've really been able to get past the whole felony crap is through just word of mouth and networking and making positive connections with people to where they know who I am before knowing my record. Yeah. I mean, was that transition period between, uh, exiting the inmate program and going into, I guess the normal world, if you would want to call it that, uh, was that pretty difficult for you or? Surprisingly? Yeah. Um, I, I never thought I would be like institutionalized, um, and institutionalized meaning like just kind of, you're very, um, like your, your habits and everything are just very prison. Like you're just used to like the lingo and the verbiage and just how you carry yourself. And I just never knew being in prison for only two years would have affected me, but getting out, it was like, I remember the first couple of days, I didn't even know what to wear. Like I couldn't even make choices, you know, because all my choices were planned out for me. Like the officers, you know, would tell me, okay, this is when you're eating. This is when you're going to sleep. And, you know, you would be given outfits and like everything was already given to you. So like coming out and making choices was really difficult. It was, it was a really strange adjustment with that. And then 
I didn't have a vehicle to even get to my parole officer. So I had to take public transportation and it was like way on the other side of the county. Um, so there was a couple of times where I missed meetings with my parole officer and I'm like, Hey, look lady, like, I'm really sorry. You know, I'll, I'll do better next time, whatever, you know? And, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely, and it was hard to detach from camp because I had made such a like little family there. And I was so close with the girls that I really was like reminiscing a lot and like kind of missing them. And just, I had such a solid program there and, you know, like kind of in a protected little world of my own. Um, but it was kind of weird to be back in this crazy of a normal world. <laughs> yeah. I had to use air quotes there, of course, but that's, that's an interesting thing. It, ugh, I can't talk either. Apparently you and I are on the same page here. <laughs> um, so you had that fire family experience though, within the inmate program too. I mean, is that pretty common? I mean, I'd assume it would be, I mean, it's just like any other fire crew. It's just in a different context. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're sharing, you know, the same living and eating space and you're fighting these fires together, like we would live and breathe each other. Like, just, I mean, we would go to the bathroom together. We would shower together. We would eat together. And just, we were so close all the time that there was no way you couldn't make bonds with these people. You know, like when you're delirious and it's like, you're doing the 24 hour shift on a fire. Right. And you get delirious and like, you're just trying to buy time. You know, you have these conversations and you hear a lot about these people's lives and that's where I kind of learned like these people in prison, like they're not all just these, you know, criminals and crazy people. It's like, no, they just had some problems and made some bad life choices. And and here we are all together. Like whatever. Yeah. I hate that too. It's because like the media pumps it up or like you always see like the worst of the worst. And so that automatic assumption is, is like, Oh, this person's a criminal. It's like, no, they're a person. They may have made a, a bad mistake or, you know, fucked up somewhere along the lines, but it doesn't mean they're a bad person. Yeah. Not necessarily exactly. at least. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's some, you know, bad stuff that happens out there too, but you know, like for the most part, I mean, we are all just people. Yeah. Really? Well, that's the thing is I'm not, I'm not saying like, you can't just generalize and categorize all of the folks that are behind, you know, in, in prison that you can't just automatically assume that they haven't changed or they're just going to be that way forever. That's yeah. It's, it's, it's intellectually dishonest. People change. Yeah. And that's why like, I'm a firm believer that like you can change, like people do change if, and here's the if of, if they're willing to, you know, like if they're willing to put in the work, if they're willing to do something different, um, then change is possible. Oh yeah. And I think everybody's capable of it. I mean, shit you have, you're a shining example of it. And look, you've, you've taken that experience and you turned it into something great. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a really enriching journey. Like I definitely, it's weird saying I don't regret it because I'm glad I went through it all. Um, do I regret what happened? Sure. You know, um, but I don't regret the whole journey itself. Uh, made you who you are today. Hands yeah. Down. Yeah. I mean, as far as anybody who's walking in similar shoes though, what would you have as a recommendation for them to get into fire or to anybody that's out there looking for an awesome career? Uh, what would you, and they might have a criminal record. What would you suggest to them? Um, like we were talking earlier, like just be yourself, um, be honest. Like you don't have to be totally transparent. Like, okay, these are my charges. This is what I did. 
you know, but just, um, like use it to your benefit. And, and if they ask you, like, be honest, um, and just, you know, guide yourself with integrity. Like, you know, you messed up, like be accountable to your mistakes. Right. Um, but that you're, you're being better and yeah. Oh yeah. And you're living proof that, you know, your past shouldn't dictate your future at all. It's kind of a common theme with you and, and Mondo. It's a powerful thing, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's inspiring is, is what I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely like, it's, it's not who I am. It's part of who I am. And there's many different parts of me and, and my story and my life, but, um, and fire is not all I am, you know? Um, but yeah, like we, we shouldn't just define people by their past. Oh, absolutely. So as far as like it, that real, real ugh, see, there I go again. <laughs> Maybe I haven't had enough coffee. You got to teach me your, your uh, tricks as far as making a good cup of coffee. <laughs> so as far as like that real sisterhood and family, let's go into that. What does that mean to you? Uh, that was like a really important part of the journey. Like I was saying, I wasn't really close with a lot of women. Um, I didn't really have a lot of women friends before, but after that, um, and I mean, it's, it's really like, it's obviously similar in fire. Like there's obviously not a lot of women in fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm instantly closer to the women that I meet in fire along the way, just because I know our struggles or I know my own struggles of being a woman in a male dominated job. Um, and it's kind of like that empowering, like, yeah, go ladies, you know? And like, I automatically support any woman, um, going forth with this or just any women in general that um, dare to be different, you know? Um, so, and keeping in contact with some of the women in fire camp, um, has been really important to me too. Like that's a journey that is very unique that not a lot of people go through, um, kind of similar to the military and in fire too, you know, like there's just some experiences that nobody gets, but you, that you've been through. And so that's just really special to me. Oh yeah. You got to walk a mile in those shoes before you truly understand it. What other, somebody else is going through. That's for damn sure. Exactly. Absolutely. So as far as, uh, we're getting to the end of the episode now. So as far as like getting a hold of you for questions, I know you don't really do the social media thing too much, but how do we get a hold of you for questions? Um, I guess Facebook works for me, Julianne Thompson, uh, Thompson, no P. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Email is totally cool. Julianne.thompson1486 at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I'm totally willing to answer any questions. I'm an open book. Like if you want to ask me and I'm even open with people like anybody in fire or, or in general, like if they have any questions about what happened or whatever, like I'm totally an open book. Hell yeah. And I hope you can guide some people through the process of getting, uh, their foot in the door as far as getting to be a, uh, a wildland firefighter. I think it's an excellent career. It's not without its, you know, it's drawbacks, but you get paid in some pretty, pretty awesome sunsets. That's for damn sure. <laughs> the service, you know, and like, yeah, yeah we don't, fun, but for me, it's like, okay, I got paid a dollar an hour, you know, like this is way better. And, and also we didn't really mention like the expungement thing. I know you and Mondo had talked about it. Yeah. Let's go into uh, that. Yeah, real quick. Um, so I've been kind of looking into it. And from what I know, um, as long as like whatever your charge that you committed, you you did at a fire camp, like you did your time in fire camp, you can get that 
record expunged. Now, if you have like priors um, that weren't served at an inmate fire camp, you can't get those expunged. Cause like the stipulation is, it's like, if you do prison time for your charge, um, then you can't get an expungement. If you do like jail time or it's just a misdemeanor, yeah, you can get those expunged. But like, if you have felonies um, that you serve in prison at an inmate camp, like that, that bill that passed was like, I was, it was beyond me. I was like, so excited. I'm like, wow, this is a huge step. Like I never thought in a million years that I could expunge my record. I just kind of was like, okay, it is what it is. I'm going to make the best of it. Um, but with this bill passing, like, I think it's a really huge step in the right direction for people to really have more opportunities than they did before. So I'm really excited. Um, I think it's awesome. And I'm definitely going to look into it, not to like jump ship or anything, but it's just like, for me, it's kind of weird because what you do is like, you go from a, a guilty plea to a not guilty plea, which then like, I don't know. So that's kind of weird mentally. Cause I know I'm guilty for my personal situation, but like just to have the freedom and the fact that I don't have to put down that I'm a felon. Cause like it affects all things. Like even yeah. renting an apartment, you know, like they, they make you have a higher deposit because you have a criminal background because you're more liable. That's such but bullshit, man. Come on people. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, now it's been an, enough time passed but I'm super excited about that bill because I think it'll change a lot of people's lives. Oh yeah. It's going to be for the better too. And it's like, we we're talking about recidivism as well. It's going to reduce that immensely, especially if you can go get a kick-ass job doing something in the public sector or the uh, public service sector. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm all about it. Yeah. I've, I've got a beef with uh, prison systems, of course, and uh, especially the privatized prison system. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but that's a topic for a later off the record kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, no, thank you for being on the show. It was awesome. And, uh, I'll definitely drop all that information in the show notes. That way, uh, people can get a hold of you if they're, uh, needing some questions answered or just want to hear what it's all about. So thank you for being on the show. And, uh, yeah, as, what's that? Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's good to see you again. It's been a long time since Academy. That's for damn sure. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Go green crew. Hell yeah. Oh man. So at the end of the show, I always like to give the opportunity for you to give a uh, shout out to a homie hero mentor. Could be several. Take it away. Mm, all my ladies at rainbow camp crew one. Um, hopefully they listen to this. If not, I'll tell them to listen to this now. <laughs> but um, also, also uh, the mentor of captain Ortega, like, uh, I hope he listens to this too. Cause he did a lot for me. Um, and also all the women that have come before me in fire, um, and are there with me right now on this journey, like we can empower each other and just kudos to all the women that, you know, are in this male dominated field. Oh yeah. Ladies get some shout out to all the ladies <laughs> in fire. Oh man. Well, cool. Julianne Jules. It's fucking awesome to see you, man. That's uh, that's definitely been a long time, and thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. It's it's pretty cool. Like I didn't Hell even yeah. know when you when I was doing the crew boss shit down in uh, Sacramento with you guys. I had no idea. I know I didn't think you did, so that's why I was like, oh, I'll mention it and see like what you think, and yeah, yeah. I don't like I'm like hey, I'm Jules. I'm from an inmate camp. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's not like it's on your business card or anything like that. 
<laughs> well, Jules, once again, thank you for being on the show. And uh, yeah, send your girlfriend some love. Hell yeah. Thank you. Right on, homie. See ya. And boom, there we go. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Julianne Thompson. Julianne, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your perspective about the inmate firefighting program, especially from the female side of things. That's uh, pretty pretty crazy. It's an incredible uh, journey that you uh, that I was completely unaware of when I first met you down there, down there at the academy, but it's uh, pretty badass. And I think that more people need to hear these stories. And I think it's inspiring of where you came about the story of where you came from and how you ended up in fire and all the things you've done in between. It's pretty cool. And I hope this the message definitely reaffirms uh, the previous episode and your episode's message of not letting your past define your future. I think it's awesome. So Julianne, thank you one more time. I appreciate it. It's awesome. For the rest of you, I hope everybody likes the show. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody's getting prepped for the season. It's uh, right around the corner. So do your due diligence. Uh, Start training if you haven't done so already and start prepping mentally and physically for the upcoming fire season. With that being said, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors. We got Manscaped. Uh, Yeah. 20% 20% off and free shipping site-wide with the code AnchorPoint at checkout. So go over to www.manscaped.com and check them out. We've got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest packs in the fire game, period. And they are giving back to the community with the Backbone Series and the Backbone Series scholarships. Definitely appreciate what you guys got going on over there. We got the Ass Movement. <laughs> Funny name, but I love your message, man, because there's nothing more that I, than that I hate than people... Uh, surface pooping on my favorite public lands. So you guys can get uh, 10% off your entire order over there at www.thefirewild.com by using the code AnchorPointAss10. What else we got? We got Hotshot Brewery, kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause, and they are slinging our merch. So go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. And last but not least, we've got the Smoky Generation or also known as the American Wildfire Experience. So go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out Bethany's organization over there and put in put your name in the hat for one of those $500 grants. It's pretty badass. Anyways, you guys know the drill. Stay safe. Stay savage. Catch you on the next one. Peace.